enjoyed the wonderful music from the choir and the duet and the fellowship of the people. Thank you so much for being here. I got to preach in Sunday school and last night and appreciate the spirit of this church and the heart of the people and the warmth. And I thanked you this morning for the nice room and all the goodies in the room, the great food last night and looking forward to the meeting. Open your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of Luke chapter 5, Luke the fifth chapter. I heard about a little girl was new in school and the teacher was trying to get to know her. So she says, sweetheart, what does your daddy do for a living? She said, my daddy's a magician. Oh, she said, that's interesting. She said, now, does he have any favorite tricks? And the little girl said, yes, my daddy's favorite trick is sawing people in half. Well, she said, I've seen that trick. That's a great trick. I like it. And then she said, now, do you have any brothers or sisters? And the little girl said, yes, I have a half brother and two half sisters. This was originally a series of sermons I preached at our church, and so I'm going to give you a half sermon this morning, all right? What time do you normally stop preaching and begin the invitation, preacher? Thank you, all right? What, 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 what time? Okay, let's, let's do it. What time do you think you normally stop preaching and begin the invitation? Quarter till. How, how often does he make it? Pretty good? No, not so good? All right. Okay, well, I'll, I'll try to give you a little change back this after this morning and be done before it becomes afternoon. Uh, stand with me as we look at this portion of Scripture, Luke chapter 5 and verse 1, if you would please, if you're able to and willing to. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him, upon the Lord Jesus, to hear the word of God. Hey, aren't you glad you go to a church where you hear the word of God? He stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and talked to people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught or a draft. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we've toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word I will let down the net. And when they this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners, which in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both ships, so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Lord, thank you for this wonderful church and the great privilege of being here. Bind the devil and his demons. Don't let them snatch the seed of your word out and away from the soil of our hearts. Draw us to yourself. Help us to hear and to obey your voice. Guide me to speak those things that would most help the most people. And do draw us closer to yourself, Lord, in this time of revival. We'll praise you for what you do. Bless the preaching and bless the invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The preachers told us that the revival is to resume the normal life, to begin to live again. To be what God always intended his children to be. And... Uh, I want you to think a little bit about what that would look like. It would look like people living 
like the Bible, having answered prayer, winning people to Christ, abiding in Christ, loving one another. And I want you, as we look at this passage, to think what it would take to have revival. What would I have to do? What would you have to do? I believe that in our story, there are two commands of the Lord Jesus. And I believe the Lord Jesus is going to call all of us here today to fulfill one of those commands. The Lord Jesus is early in his ministry, hadn't called all his disciples yet. He's standing by the Sea of Galilee, a body of water that's eight miles wide and 13 miles long. And he was immensely popular in the land of Galilee, that northernmost region of Palestine, not so much in Judea where Jerusalem was, but the more rural area. Crowds just gathered together as soon as they heard he was there. And this big crowd comes and they're pressing him back against the water and the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. They're so close that his voice will be absorbed by their bodies. But he looks over and hears a couple of boats. And he walks over and he just gets in one of the boats. He just climbs into Peter's boat. Anybody own a boat? It's okay, I'm not preaching against it. It's fine. I've owned boats. I've known the two happiest days of a boat owner. The day I bought my boat and the day I sold my boat. But Jesus walks into Peter's boat. I mean, he's acting like he owns the place. Yeah, I guess he does. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So the Lord Jesus can never intrude. He can never ask too much. He can never be too demanding of us. And then he makes a request to Peter. Here's the first request. He says, would you thrust out a little bit from the land? Peter does. Now there's a little bit of water separating the Lord Jesus from the crowd. The water acts as a kind of a natural soundboard, amplifies his voice. People's bodies aren't so close, they don't absorb the sound. And everybody hears the Lord Jesus. When he gets all done speaking, he makes a second request to Peter. He says, launch out into the deep. Let your nets down and get ready for a great catch of fish. Peter's fished all the night before and he's had a bad night, hadn't caught a thing. He's not a sport fisherman, he's a commercial fisherman. He fishes for a living. When he doesn't catch anything, they don't have anything to eat. And he says, Lord, we just fished all night and took nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down, watch this, the nets. Jesus said, cast out your nets. It's like Peter saying, Lord, you know the preaching business. You wanted to use my boat to preach from. I didn't ask any questions. I didn't make any comments. I just did what you wanted me to do. But I know the fishing business. If there are any fish to be taken, we'd have caught them last night. But I'll humor you, Lord. I'm not going to get all my nets wet again, and they just have to come back and wash them out because there are no fish there anyway. But we'll put one net in the water. And as soon as they did, they enclosed so many fish that the net broke. They called their partners and brought the other ship out and filled both ships with the fish so full that they began to sink. Peter's embarrassed at his lack of faith and at his incomplete obedience. And he kneels down and he says, Lord Jesus, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. And the Lord Jesus answers with words we find all through the Bible, particularly in the New Testament. He says, fear not. 
And then he says, henceforth thou shalt catch men. So this occasion of Peter's incomplete obedience and limited faith becomes the occasion of his call to the ministry, to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Launch out into the deep, thrust out a little from the land. Will it take to have revival? Well, for most of us, here's what the Lord's going to ask. He's going to ask us to thrust out a little from the land. He's going to ask us to draw a little closer to Him. He's going to ask us to grow in grace. He's going to ask us to increase in our fellowship with Him, our reliance on the Spirit, our reading of His Word. He's going to ask us to deal with some issues in life that have been there that have hindered our relationship with Him, some worldly elements that have drawn us away from the Lord Jesus. He's going to ask us to just make a little progress. If you ended this meeting and everybody in this church was a little bit closer to God than when the meeting began, I'd call it a good meeting. But some of us, he's going to say, I want you to launch out into the deep. There's an evangelist who works out of our church, a friend of mine for many, many years, who was a pastor in the area when I got to the area. His name is Rick Flanders. I have a beautiful letter from his wife, and she tells about a meeting they had at another location that her husband led with a quest for revival. And she said, she said God did an amazing change in my life. And things I cared about, I no longer cared about. And things I hadn't cared enough about, I cared more about. And I began to walk in the Spirit and see God bless. And, and my life was taken to a new level spiritually. And she said, and it's never gone away. She launched out into the deep. So most of us, God will say, would you, would you take a few steps forward? Would you thrust out a little bit for the land? Some of us guys are going to say, would you launch out into the deep? So let's look at the story, a few lessons from the story I want us to learn. The first lesson is really important. I hope that you get this. The Lord Jesus uses ordinary people and their possessions to do most of his work. Did you know the Lord Jesus had rich followers? Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, Herod's steward, followed him, the Bible says, with other women, and she ministered to him of her substance. Her husband was a wealthy man, and she had some money that she had access to, and she gave it to Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man, and he helped the Lord Jesus. We have this idea that there are these great churches out there, and there are. Lancaster Baptist Church, where your pastor served and staffed for over a decade. First Baptist Church of Hammond, our friend John Wilkerson done a wonderful job, probably the largest church in attendance in independent Baptist circles. And, and they're great churches and they're great examples. And I love them and I learn from them. And those are the churches that are really getting the job done. But you know the typical independent Baptist church has 110 people on a Sunday morning. You got more than that. But did you know from those churches come most of our Bible college students? And most of our pastors and most of our missionaries. And the truth is, you take those large churches that we all look to and learn from, great churches, and you close them down. And the work of God will go on just fine. But you leave those churches open and you stop the ordinary churches, 110 or so, and the work of God would dry up overnight. We all hear of wealthy people who have helped the cause of Christ. I have a friend named Russell Anderson. Russell Anderson has given away $30 million to the work of God. Years ago, I decided there ought to be one person who never asked him for anything, and I volunteered for that position. It's worked out really well. I never asked him for anything. He never gave me nothing. <laughs> Boy, if we had a Russell Anderson, and we could get a bigger piece of property, and we could really do something, and we could build a big building, 
but you know, you take away the Russell Andersons and leave ordinary folks like you and I who get a paycheck every week and tithe and give an offering, and the worker got to be just fine. But you leave the Russell Andersons, take away ordinary folks like us, and the worker got to drive overnight. There's not enough of them to keep the work of God going. Jesus uses ordinary people and their possessions to do most of his work. He could have had a rich man build him a dock and put a gazebo at the end and a big soundboard there, but he got in the boat of a fisherman. Don't ever think you don't matter. Don't ever think your part is not relevant. Don't ever think that your contribution is not significant. Don't ever think that the little bit that you do is irrelevant to the cause of Christ. No, 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 no. You're really important. The, the Lord Jesus uses ordinary people in their possessions to do most of his work. And it is many people going a little bit farther in their Christian life that makes a large difference in the spirit and the heart and the life of the church. Jesus uses ordinary people and their possessions to do most of his work. Lesson number two, the Lord Jesus expects us to serve him when it's inconvenient. Peter has fished all night. It's been a long night. It's been a frustrating night. He hasn't caught anything. He's discouraged. Did you ever work all night? Yes. Come out in the morning, just feel great, don't you? I have been so tired. I worked as a night watchman. I worked other jobs that had me work all night. And, and, and I've been so tired that I felt like I was watching myself do stuff. Does that make sense to anybody? <laughs> Peter's tired. And he could have said, Lord, there's people who got pleasure boats here and they weren't out fishing last night. Why don't you use one of their boats? Lord, there's other people, they got some spare time, they're retired, and they just fish whenever they want to. Why don't you use one of their boats? I've worked all night, I've been cleaning my nets, I need to get a little rest, I've got to try to fish again tomorrow night and do a little better than I did last night. It's not convenient for me now. The Lord Jesus expects us to serve him when it's inconvenient. Revival meetings are inconvenient. One brother came to work after working 10 hours in his uniform last night. He was tired. He said, you know, you talk really fast. I said, think how long the sermons would be if I slowed down. <laughs> and then he said, it's good for me. It makes me pay attention. And he wasn't complaining. He was just said, I was a little tired last night. Worked 10 hours. And, and I know a lot of people just said, man, I'm tired. i got to get some rest. I'll come back on Sunday. But he came when it was inconvenient. Did you know if you'll put yourself under the authority of the Word of God? Did you know if you'll submit your schedule to the work that God's wanting to do in this revival campaign? Did you know if you'll say, I'm going to be here Sunday night and Wednesday, Monday night and Tuesday night, unless I'm providentially hindered? Did you know if you serve God when it's inconvenient, you'll please God and you'll be blessed of God? The Lord Jesus expects us to serve him when it's inconvenient. I hear people tell me all the time what they're going to do later on once we get the kids through school, once we get the house built, once I get my master's degree done, once I finish my apprenticeship, then I'm going to do something for God. But God doesn't care what you would do with the time you don't have any more than he cares about people to say what they would do with the money they don't have. Well, I had a million dollars, I'd give half of it to God. What about the 20 bucks in your pocket? The Lord Jesus expects us to serve him when it's inconvenient. Number three, the Lord expects us to serve him when it's illogical. Anybody fish? We got any fishermen here? Raise your hand. How, how come we always have more fishermen than boats? I don't know how that works out. 
you boat owners, watch out for these non-boat owning fishermen. They may want to borrow your boat. It's now about noontime in all probability. And we all know noon is the perfect time to go fishing. Right? No. Sun's straight overhead, water's warm, fish are deep. Insects that they might eat aren't on the water so much. You go fishing early in the morning, later in the afternoon. No wonder Peter says, Lord, come on. We fished all night. We haven't caught anything. We're not going to catch anything now. doesn't make any sense. Can I tell you that often in a meeting like this, the Lord's going to lead you to do something that doesn't make sense. Maybe it's to help in a Sunday school class or sing in a choir, and you'll think there's people so much more qualified than me. Maybe it's to enter full-time Christian work, and you'll say, good grief, I'm not trained. I couldn't do that. There's a lot of people more likely to be successful in the Lord's work than I would be. Maybe it's to make some large financial investment in the cause of Christ. Maybe it is to take on a, a, a new role in winning people to Christ and putting yourself out and giving people the gospel, and you really don't feel comfortable with that at all. But the Lord will often ask, us to do something illogical part of the reason is we walk by faith and not by sight and if it makes sense to you you're not going to be as likely to trust god illogical but the next lesson i want you to notice is this the lord jesus generously rewards those who serve him Brother Keeley may remember this, uh, maybe not, but when I was younger, it was a kind of a trend to have these people go around and give testimonies. And they would say, I could have been a professional football player, but I gave that up to serve God. I could have been a very wealthy businessman, but I gave that up to serve God. I could have been a country singer, but I gave that up to serve God. You know about country music, don't you? See, the issue in rock music, if you played it backwards, there were satanic messages. You know what you get if you play country music backwards? Get your truck back, your dog back, <laughs> your wife back. <laughs> I knew one guy, he said he could have been all three, a football-playing, country-singing businessman. And we're supposed to go, wow. God really lucked out when you signed up, didn't he? Let me tell you something. I'm not impressed. You could have had 300-pound men jumping up and down in your belly every Sunday afternoon. You gave that up to serve God. You could have been singing to a bunch of drunks in a bar someplace, and you gave that up to serve God. You could have had a bunch of money stacked up in a bank, every dime of which you'd have left behind when you went to heaven, and you gave that up to serve God. Let me tell you something. I didn't give up anything to serve God. God's been better to me than the world and the flesh and the devil ever could have been. I, I gave him my old tattered garments, and he gave me a robe pure and white, and I'm feasting on manna from heaven, and that's why I'm happy tonight it's a good deal to serve God Jesus generously rewards those who serve him he said nobody's left their house or their family or their land that I'll give them a hundredfold in this earth and I'll give him eternal life on the other side let me tell you God is good to his servants don't you say you got to go in the straight gate and a narrow way that's not talking about serving God that's talking about how you get to heaven there's one way to heaven and that's the Lord Jesus Christ Jesus said I'm the way the truth and the life we're all sinners we deserve to spend eternity in hell God loves us and wants us to go 
go to heaven. And he sent Jesus to shed his blood on the cross and pay the penalty we owed for our sin. And the Bible says if you'll admit you're a sinner and you'll trust Jesus and him alone to forgive your sin, you can have eternal life in heaven. You can walk out of this room this morning knowing that all your sins are forgiven and that Jesus is your Savior. You'll never have to answer for a single bad thing you've ever done and you have a home in heaven forever. That's the best news I know. But there's one way to heaven and his name is Jesus. That verse isn't talking about serving God at the straightest way, narrowest way. No, 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 no. People say, to serve God. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and gentle in heart. Watch this. My yoke is easy and my burden is it's not hard to serve God. It's hard to serve the devil. God doesn't leave you drunk in a gutter someplace lying in your own vomit. God doesn't leave your mind fried from the use of illegal drugs. God doesn't leave you in a hospital with some disease because of promiscuous behavior. No, no, no. The devil's hard on his servants. God is good to his servants. It's a good deal to serve God. Jesus generously rewards those who serve him. Next lesson. How many are there? Less than 20. I don't want to tell you you'd put your shoes on too soon. Next lesson is this. If we limit our obedience, then we limit our reward. Peter, get your nets and put them in the water. Jesus, I'll put one net in. We're not going to catch anything anyway. And the net began to break and they had to get the fish and put them in the boat. I wonder if they could have had all the nets out and drug them behind the boats and not to have put, not have put the ship the fish into the ship, I wonder how many fish they'd have caught then. You're probably a better Christian than me, but sometimes I want to negotiate with God. We do an offering every year in our church in November, the faith building offering. First year we did it, did it the Spirit of God impressed me to give $10,000. I didn't have it, but he told me to give it, and it worked out great. God took care of me. And then the next year I gave a little more, and the next year I gave a little more, and the next year I gave a little more. We got down the road, I'm thinking, Lord, I'm giving over three times as much as anybody else gives in this offering. And uh, if I can't keep giving more every year, pretty soon I'll be giving away more than I make. Yeah, I, I got to cut back some. I, I had to tell the Lord that because he wasn't aware of my financial situation, so I, I was informing him. One Wednesday night I was teaching a lesson and talked about trusting God and the Holy Spirit said to me can you trust me I said Lord this is a lesson for them (laughs) I prepared it for them can you trust me I said the other night surrender is the hardest and the sweetest and the most important thing in the Christian life and in that moment I surrendered you may be a better Christian than me but sometimes we just want to cut a deal with God Lord, how about this instead of that? You can do that. When you limit your obedience, you limit his reward. I read the story of a wealthy man had given enough money to build an entire church building. Property, building, furnishings, everything. And it wasn't very long after that he had a reversal in his business, lost everything he had, wound up becoming an ordinary working man like most of us. He was walking down the street with a friend of his who knew his story, And they walked by that church building and kind of sardonically, a little bit uh, satirically, ironically, the man said, uh, well, I bet you wish now you hadn't given all that money to build that church. 
And the once rich man said, no. He said, if I'd kept that money, I would have lost it when I lost everything else. And then he looked at the church building and he said, that's the only thing I saved. Can I tell you, one day you're going to get to heaven. And you find out the only thing you're able to save is what you gave. We limit our obedience. We limit our reward. One more lesson. If you miss every other lesson, get this. I've read you verses 1 through 10 as I read the scripture. I didn't read verse 11. The Lord Jesus in verse 10, fear not from henceforth, thou shalt catch men. And verse 11 says something like this. I don't have my Bible in front of me, so if it's not exactly right, don't think I've changed translation. It says something like this. When they came to shore, they forsook all and followed him. They forsook all. What's all? Well, all those nets. Peter was so worried about washing out and not putting back in the water. All those fish they just caught, biggest catch of their lives. So how do you know that? Because if they'd ever filled both boats before, they'd have bought bigger boats. All those ships that were the means of their livelihood, they left everything behind and they followed Jesus. Once they got around Jesus, once they spent some time with him, once they understood who he was and what he could do, all the stuff didn't matter, just the Savior mattered. And here's the last lesson. It's not about the stuff. It's about the Savior. God's really good to me. I live in a nice house on 10 acres, about 3,200 square feet. It's a three-car garage. There's a pond in the back. It appraised a few years ago for $266,000. A little more money if you had to buy something like that down here. I drive a 2017 Buick Enclave. God's good to me. Pastor, wonderful church, great people, and they love me and I love them. But do you know that's not the reason to serve God? And that's not what it's about. God is good to you. God rewards you. God takes care of you. But, but it really isn't about how many fish you catch. Peter, he left the fish and followed Jesus. It isn't about the stuff, it's about the Savior. It's about the fact that you get to enter into the work of God, that you get to do things that matter for eternity, that you can be involved in something that changes people's heavenly destination or their destination from hell to heaven. You get to be a partner with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are laborers together with God. There used to be a program on TV when I was a kid called A Family Affair. I guess with a name like that, it'd probably be nasty today, but it was, a, it was a cute program. It was about a man, Brian Keith was the actor's name. He played Uncle Bill. He had two kids, a niece and a nephew, Jody and Buffy, that he'd taken in when their parents died. And there was a man, Mr. French, they called him, who was kind of a male nanny. His real name was Sebastian Cabot. One day in one of those programs, Uncle Bill's going to take the kids on a fishing trip. So he gets the boat ready and the motor and the tent and the fishing poles and the tackle boxes and the sleeping bags and he, he, he hooks everything up to the back and loads up the station wagon. That's what they used to call an SUV. And they go out on their trip and everything goes wrong. 
mosquitoes are terrible, the fish don't bite, the motor conks out, the boat leaks, it rains all the time, water gets into the tent, they're sopping wet, and they load up everything in a big mess, and they're driving back home, and the windshield wipers are furiously going back and forth, and he can barely still see the road, and Uncle Bill's just cussed it, and he said, I'm sorry, kids, I wanted you to have a good time. And one of the kids said, Uncle Bill, that's all right. We just enjoyed being with you. He chose 12 disciples that he might teach them and that they might be with him. The best part about serving Jesus is serving Jesus. There's another program on TV when I was young. I didn't watch it. I don't know if it was good or bad. It was called Kojak. Kojak was a New York City, I think, detective played by a guy named Telly Savalas. Telly Savalas was noted for two things in that character. He always had a lollipop in his mouth and had a very distinctively masculine haircut. Exactly. Baldness is caused by the presence of a male hormone. You go look it up. So I so few women ever go bald. To all you wimps with a full head of hair. <laughs> Telly Savalas was flying home to Greece, his native country. Across the aisle in the first class section was a gentleman. He leaned over and said, Mr. Savalas, I know people bother you a lot, but I wonder if I could talk to you a little bit. You're Greek, I'm Greek. You're my favorite actor. Telly Savalas said, no, man, I'm tired. I'm taking this trip because I need to rest. Telly said, I understand. But a few hours later in that long flight to Greece, the man looked over and Telly Savalas wasn't eating. He wasn't reading. He wasn't working. He wasn't sleeping. He was just sitting there. He said, Mr. Savalas, I know you said you don't want to be bothered. But you're my favorite actor. You brought so much honor to our country. You're Greek. I'm Greek. Could I talk to you a little bit? No, I told you. I didn't want anybody to bother me. Just so you did. I understand. Plane landed in Greece, and as it taxied up the runway to the gate, Telly Savalas peered out the window, and there was a big old band and a bunch of photographers and reporters and a great crowd of people, and Telly Savalas began to curse. That agent of mine, I told him I didn't want anybody to know that I was here. The plane stopped. It was a little while before the door opened. When it did, two Greek soldiers stepped into the airplane holding their rifles. They said, everybody stay seated, please. There's no problem. We want you to remain seated as we escort the king of Greece off of the airplane. Hmm. And that man who twice asked if he could talk to Sully's palace, snugged up his tie and straightened up his jacket. He walked out. And his picture was taken by the photographers waiting for him, the reporters waiting to write about his return, the band waiting to play for him, and the crowd waiting to welcome him home. Twice, the king of Greece said, Mr. Zavallis, can I talk to you a little bit? I'm too busy. I don't want to be bothered. I wonder how Telly Zavallis felt then. I wonder how many times King Jesus has come along and said, could I use your boat? Would you thrust out a little from land? Would you help over there? Would you serve in that? Would you go back and talk to that person? Would you pass the track out here to that person that just waited on you? Would you, would you put a little extra money into this project? I wonder how many times we've been too busy to be bothered to help out things. Jesus does most of his work with ordinary people and their possessions. He expects us to serve when it's inconvenient and when it's illogical. And he generously repays those who serve him 
But if we limit our obedience, we limit our reward. But in the final analysis, it's not about the stuff, it's about the Savior. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that you guide me as I extend the invitation. I pray that the hearts of your children to be open and that any who does not know that they have a home in heaven would understand today that they can know that and be willing to trust Jesus. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, nobody's looking around. I wonder who's here this morning and you say, Brother Willette, I, uh, I think the Lord wants me to thrust out a little bit from the land. You may have an idea of what he wants you to do. You may not be sure about it, but you say, no, I, I know he wants me to take some steps forward, and, and I'm just going to tell him it's all right. He wants to use my boat to preach from. I'm willing to thrust out a little from the land. I think that's what he's talking to me about. And I want you to pray with me about that. If you say that, would you hold your hand up high? God bless you. God bless you. I think God wants me to thrust out a little bit for the land. Who else? Preacher, pray for me. I think he wants me to take some steps forward for him. You may have an idea. You may not be sure about it. But I think that's what the Lord wants me to do. Slip your hand up. I'll see it. And then you can put it down. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Who else? God let pray for me. I do believe the Lord wants me to make progress in my Christian life. I think he's asking me to thrust out a little bit from the land and and I'm telling him if I know what it is, I'm saying yes. And I'm not sure. I'm just telling him in advance it's okay. Pray with me about that. If you say that, slip your hand up high. Thank you, ma'am. God bless you. Thank you, sir. God bless you. Thank you, brother. God bless you. Who else? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Let me ask another question. I wonder here, and you say, you know what? I think the Lord wants me to launch out into the deep. I believe that he wants me to do something more than just thrust out a little bit from the land. Again, you may have an idea what that is. You may not be sure about it, but you say, yeah, I think that's what the Lord wants me to do. Pray with me when you pray with those others. I think he wants me to launch out into the deep. If you say that, slip your hand up high. I'll see it, and you can put it down. I'll include you in the prayer. Yeah, but let pray for me. Thank you, brother. Thank you, sister. Thank you. God bless you. Who else? And then let me ask, thank you. God bless you, friend. Amen. One other question. I wonder if you're here today and you say, I do not know I'd go to heaven if I died right now, but I'd like to know that for sure. And I wish when you pray for these other folks, you'd pray for me. I won't embarrass you. I will not call any more attention to you now than I did to the other people who raised their hand then. I'd like to include you in the prayer. Who would say, I don't really know I'd go to heaven if I died right now, but I'd sure like to know that. Pray for me when you pray for the other folks. If you say that, slip your hand up high. We'll include you in the prayer. I'll see it. I won't embarrass you, but I want to include you in the prayer. Father in heaven, have your way in every heart. Help us to act upon what you have asked us to do. To thrust out a little from the land, to launch out into the deep, and help each of us to obediently follow the leading of your spirit. We'll thank you in Jesus' name for all that you do. Amen. Would you